Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Bang! Tie game with five seconds remaining. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods. Fickle butt. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you into Full Slate, a Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. College basketball season is here, and that feels great to say. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me and all of my gambling picks on Gambling Twitter at Undercover Greg. Joined by a familiar co-host who uh, we've uh, taken some time away from each other earlier on, excuse me, in 2020, but it's back and film on Gambling Twitter as Locks. Uh, you can find him and all of his gambling picks at Larry's Locks 2. I know him as Bill. It's good to have you back, Bill. How you doing? I'm doing well. Good to see you, Greg. Uh, looking forward to a hopefully an exciting college basketball season this year. I know you know things are kind of up in the air as we're talking. I think there's probably games getting canceled and postponed and whatnot. But you know, I, I was actually texting with a couple of friends of mine recently and just saying, you know. I, I'm just happy that we're getting some games, you know. If it's 15-plus, whatever it may be, per team, and we get to the uh, conference tournaments and then definitely get to the uh, 
you know, NCAA tournament, I'll be a happy camper with that. No, oh, 100%. I mean, you know, tonight the first college football playoff rankings came out, and it certainly looked weird seeing certain teams at 3-0 and and others at 8-0, and but I'd rather that than not have anything, and hopefully we can get to March and have a tournament to talk about and get ever closer to putting this COVID to bed as far as the the sports world and the way it impacts things. But uh, it's just good to have a college basketball season to talk about. And, gosh, it feels like ages ago that uh, the season ended. And, you know, 2019-2020 really looked like the year of the mid-major where we had the great story of Dayton. And, you know, San Diego State was really impressive. And what a great game it was in the Mountain West Conference Championship game against Utah State. And, and then, obviously, the world completely turned on us, uh, but uh, I guess let's just start there when you think about the last memories that we have of college basketball and uh, what stood out. Obviously, that was a Gonzaga team, speaking of mid-majors, that had a chance really to win it all, probably the best team in the history of the Baylor program, and, and all of it kind of uh, fizzles out. What, what were kind of your lasting memories of college basketball when we last had it? Yeah, I mean, I was... As always, like, that's my Super Bowl is, is college basketball, the March Madness tournament. You know, I've had for years on end buddies of mine, 30 to 40 guys. We all golf early in the morning, and we all go to the bar and watch all the games on that first Thursday. You know, so I look forward to it every year. And, and to see what happened, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, the world turning on its side with this whole COVID business and, you know, getting ready for the conference tournaments and then literally watching it live as they cancel them as there's players out on the floor and stuff. It was it was wild. Um, but, yeah, like you had mentioned, there were so many good mid-majors. There were so many things to look forward to with the conference tournaments and then obviously with the NCAA tournament coming up. And it was kind of like pulled uh, pulled out from underneath us. And, uh, again, like I said before, like you mentioned, I'm just excited that we have this season coming up. There's going to be a lot of returning players. I think that's something that's been really interesting that we've seen is guys that had originally said they were going to go into the draft and obviously bounced back. Now they are in the realization there's going to be a season and the amount of transfers. I, I honestly can't yeah. remember a year where there's been this many transfers of, of high-level programs and high-level names. And, you know, we're going to get into it when we break down these conferences, but it's just it's just crazy to see this many guys, you know, switch from either a mid-major program and go into a high-level D1 program or teams that were in just different high-level conferences that have switched over. Um, and I'm just curious to see how that all pans out, especially in this type of seasons where, you know, they're not really getting the amount of work they would get with their teammates leading up to the season, obviously because of the virus and what's been going on. Um, so that's really intriguing to me. But, again, I'm not going to complain about anything all year. I'm happy to have it back and, and looking forward to it. So, obviously, uh, it is our first college basketball podcast of the year, and we're hoping to have many more to come over the next four months. But it's worth noting that uh, as we sit here on Tuesday evening, November the 24th, recording that we do kind of want to just paint some broad strokes and go through uh, the way of the land and how it looks this year in college basketball. So, uh, for those listening, uh, obviously, thanks for tuning in, and we want to – ensure you that we'll get to some picks towards the end and start going through some of the games that are getting started uh, as early as tomorrow and talk about some uh, games that have lines already posted and, and just some spots that we're looking at for the rest of the week. But we want to spend the first kind of 35, 40 minutes here going through each of the big conferences. And just, as I said, 
giving you away the land of the five major power conferences, and then obviously in football and basketball you throw in the Big East, uh, and uh, you know obviously we'll touch on some mid-major sleepers as well, and they're not even a sleeper. But uh, let's just start with the the teams at the top, Bill, and obviously the Gonzaga Bulldogs are bringing everybody back, and they have a highly touted recruit in Jalen Suggs uh, coming to Spokane. So uh, do we look at them as right there with any of the other favorites to cut down the nets if we can get there into Indianapolis? I know you're a big Gonzaga fan, Greg. Right? Like you had you had money on them last well, year. Right? Was, it's just a little bitter after last year. I don't know how much I'll be taking them this year because obviously the market has moved heavily in their direction. But Absolutely. I had a, lot, a ticket on them to win the title last year, and uh, obviously that blew up in flames. And it was looking like, at least from a pricing standpoint, to be a good play. But I didn't lose. Right, pushes to win. We always say so. You know, didn't lose at least. But on that Gonzaga note, I'm not sure if you saw about uh, Andrew Nempard, the kid from uh, from Florida that transferred. He they're, right. they're they're announcing him as eligible. He's ready to go on. I guess it's Thursday they play, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thursday. So I mean, to me, um, and again, you know, and, and some of the listeners that have listened to me on your podcast prior to, I'm a huge Nova guy, and I think that they're super strong, but. Gonzaga is as loaded as any top team in the country right now. And, again, you add in the transfer from Florida at the guard spot, and, you know, we all know what Mark Few can do and what he has done. So, yeah, I put them in the upper echelon for sure going into this season. Absolutely. Yeah, and and just real quick, obviously, Corey Kispert is back, one of their big-time players. But, uh, you know, before we get into the conference-by-conference breakdown, you mentioned Villanova. Obviously, they're right at the top. Uh, who else do you kind of look at and say, you know, won't be surprised at all? I, I mentioned Baylor. You know, they, they, they're yeah. going to be back. Jared Butler is back. Um, who else are you looking at as maybe a handful of four or five teams that you could pick out of a hat and wouldn't be surprised if any of them won? Yeah. And look, at the end of the day, like we talk about this, it's preseason. Come three weeks into the season, especially with this type of year, who knows what's going to happen. Right. Um, but I, I really think that there's some – Typical names that are going to be up there. I absolutely, I don't want to, you know, steal too much of my own thunder. What I'm going to be talking about within the conference breakdowns, but I, I absolutely love Virginia this year. I love sure. Hauser as a transfer coming in. I think he's really going to bring uh, a dynamic piece of an offense that's kind of been, as we all know, you know, under the radar. They haven't done much. They're always going to be a strong defensive team. But I love Hauser. I love what he's going to bring. Um, I also – I am super, super high on Illinois this year um, okay. with A.O. And, and Cockburn coming back, which they never thought was going to happen. And I really think those two are going to be on a mission. I, in my opinion, they're probably the top one-two punch as far as guard, big man right. um, in the country. I, I love what they what they have going on for this coming year. I, I see them making a run um, – yeah, I don't. I don't know. There's going to be a Duke. There, North Carolina intrigues me a little bit this year, being the sure. bottom of that conference last year. I think this is the kind of year where, yeah, look, we have those top names up there, and we think that every year teams can make runs. But I think <laughs> with what we're dealing with now, God knows what's going to be going on from hour to hour. Forget about week to week right. and day to day. Like it's just constantly changing. So. Um, I don't know what we're going to see. I'm, I'm excited for it. I've been telling a lot of people I really wish this would be the year we'd see 128 teams in the tournament. I think that would be cool, and I think it would be a way to do it Why this year. Being it, right? Like, right. Like, they have all years to do it. Like, everything's changed anyway. Screw it. Throw 128 teams in there. 
you know, forget the NIT, forget the CVB, like, let's put as many teams as we can into the big tournament, throw them all in the bubble, and let's have some fun, but those are some of the teams that I touched on that I think can make a run, um, curious to who you think you got going making runs in this, this yeah, tournament. Yeah, I mean, I think Villanova, like, you have to respect, obviously, at this point, the pedigree, and a lot of guys coming back, and We'll get to the Big East in a little bit. It's obviously a league that you figure should be better with Connecticut now, a full-time member. Uh, but you talk about uh, kind of inside-outside punches. And between Colin Gillespie and uh, Demir Cosby Roundtree, then, you know, you would expect there to be uh, a lot of, you know, outside shooting and also, you know, points in the paint there for the Wildcats, and it's another team, that, or I'm sorry, uh, Robinson Earl, another one uh, of the key players back as well, so um, I would expect that uh, Villanova is going to be right there yet again. I mean, it's, it's a little chalky, but uh, hard not to go with them. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I mean, like you said, the only player they lost, and it's a huge piece, it was arguably, in my opinion, the Big East player of the year. Forget about Marcus Howard. I mean, anybody can do that when you shoot yeah. the ball 50 times a game. Yeah. Yeah. But Bay, literally, he did everything. He could guard every position. He could bring the ball up. He could do everything. Uh, you know, best of luck to him and at the next level. I really wish he would have stayed for one more year. But, hey, they got Robinson Earl back, which, you know, I never thought he was ready for the next level just yet anyway. But the fact that he's back really helped solidify that core. Um at Nova this year, and yeah, I, I definitely see them making a deep run this year. So let's get started. As I said, we're going to run through every power conference and the Big East. Uh, we're going to start with the Big Ten, and uh, Bill, you mentioned it. We're going to uh, you talked about the Illinois Fighting Illini, and uh, we're going to just run through the preseason top five in the conference poll uh, in in each league to just kind of, as I said, paint a, a little bit of the way of the land. And, and the Illinois Fighting Illini come in at number one. And it's certainly interesting to see what Brad Underwood has done with this program. He's really built it from the ground up. Uh, you mentioned Ie Dishumi, uh, or did I say that right? I think so. It's close enough. It's close Ayi enough. Me and Kofi Cockburn uh, coming back. Dishumi, the uh, star in the backcourt. Cockburn in the frontcourt. There are several other upperclassmen returning. A total of four starters coming back for Illinois. A couple of transfers as well, and a couple of top fifty recruits. Obviously, uh, when you think about the Big Ten, you know, you and I are both old enough to remember Illinois back when they had Darren Williams and Luther Head and Dee Brown, but it really has been that long since we're talking about Illinois going into a season with those kinds of expectations. So that's kind of where I start is, yes, this is a program that seems to have built things up the right way. You don't normally, at least not yet, we don't normally hear, hear Illinois when it comes to sanctions and NCAA violations. It seems like they're doing a lot of good things there in Champaign. And my question to you is, you mentioned them right off the bat as a team you think could be a national contender. How do you think they kind of deal with having a target on their back? Uh, because the last few seasons with Underwood, they were able to kind of sneak up on teams. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Where, where did you get your, your poll from? Where did you see them rank number one for the Big Ten? Offhand, I don't remember. Okay. But okay. I, I look at a bunch of different ones, and – and I think I may have seen them at one of them at the top at the top uh, of the Big Ten. I've seen a lot of talk about Iowa, and for good reason, right? Sure. I mean, they're, they're bringing back, back right. They're 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 completely loaded. They're bringing and back I, all five stars. Them too. Yeah. So that I mean, that's where I have both of those teams sitting. I have Illinois as my one. 
Um, again, for the reasons that I mentioned prior to, I do love Iowa as well. It wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if Iowa ended up taking the Big Ten and, and surpassed Illinois. But like you said, this is the first time that Illinois kind of had a target on their back. I just don't know how big of a target that really is. Like I said, Iowa to me is that team because mainly because they have Luca Garza, who right. that is who everybody's going to be talking about. Forget about – uh, you know, the rest of the stars they have back, they also have a healthy Bohannon back who's going to be a help. They have McCaffrey's son back. He's going to be a help. They also have a freshman. I'm not sure how much time he's going to have, but a lot of people remember Tyler Eulis. His brother, Aaron Eulis, is on this squad now. Don't know how much time he's going to get with all these starters coming back, but it's just another wrinkle in that lineup. And I don't think that Illinois is going to have that big of a target. You still have Michigan State in there, who's Michigan State, right? They're still going to be looked at as an upper echelon team. Um, you know, you, you got a team in Rutgers who brings a lot of people back with, with Pikel as their head coach, who's right. been doing and phenomenal that's, things. That's what rounded out my five. I had Rutgers at number five with four starters back. Uh, Wisconsin at three, obviously Nate Reavers back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like the Big Ten always seems if you're top of the, if you're at the top of the league, you always have an impact big in the Big Ten. I yeah. just feel like that's kind of the way things go there. Yep. And Michigan State, uh, I saw as the preseason number four in the Big Ten. Uh, and I'll just say on Michigan State, like we know that Izzo, although he did just pull a big recruit uh, earlier in the summer, we know that he's not known for the one-and-dones, right, and he's more of a player developer, and so it's always about how do those freshmen and sophomores that maybe weren't playing a ton, how do they rise within the program and take on bigger roles when they get to become juniors and seniors, and now it's Rocket Watts, Aaron Henry, and Malik Hall for them, so uh, I think that that's going to be interesting to see how those guys that were more role players, how do they rise to playing key minutes for Sparty, and then obviously just teams that we're not mentioning here that we're maybe used to talking about, at least recently, Michigan uh, and, and Ohio State, uh, a couple of teams yeah. that, you know, maybe go in a little more under the radar this year. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm high on Michigan again. I'm also a Michigan fan. Um, they get livers back. He's healthy. Uh, I really think the kid, Franz Wagner, Wagner you know, sure. Bo Wagner's brother is going to take that. Next. Look, he, he really took a step last year. I mean, he was kind of thrust into a role that he wasn't supposed to be in come preseason, and, and he really stepped up to the occasion. He can knock down the outside shot. He's like a real dirty player. Gets on the floor for loose balls. I like what he's done. Um, and they have a top-ranked recruiting class coming in. You know, that was the excitement behind Jawan Howard being the head man right. there to get these guys. So they're definitely my sleeper team in the Big Ten. And you mentioned Ohio State. Look, it's hard to say that they're oh, – I. It's hard to say they're overrated because there's just so much of the Big Ten. The fact they're ranked 23rd nationally, I don't see them staying in the top 25 long. Look, it's hard to replace a guy like Wesson, um, Carton, Muhammad. You know, they have the kid with a Gaffney that transferred in. Kyle Young needs to take an enormous step uh, going forward. I don't know if he has it in him. What's that? Carton. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I, I, there's a lot of question marks with them, and again, when you lose a guy like Wesson, like this would be us if we were sitting here and uh, Garza had left Iowa, you know, he went into the draft, and, and maybe they lost, you know, uh, West Camp or another shooter like that to either the draft or what may have an injury or whatever like that. Like those those type of pieces are really tough to fill in, especially in a league like we're talking about that's just so, so heavy from top to bottom. You know, every game in conference is going to be a battle, and I just don't think Ohio State's going to be sitting at top 25 much longer. Yeah, and so I think as we kind of wrap up in the Big Ten here, it sounds like 
of you like Michigan as far as a team that could maybe crash the party here? And then yeah. if we're looking at a, at an underachiever, uh, I mean, how how does Rutgers respond? Right, like I'm kind of curious there. Now there's yeah, we talked about Illinois with a target. I wouldn't say that there's a target on Rutgers' back, but there's certainly expectations within that program now. There's it's no longer okay just to kind of sneak up on everybody and be the right. uh, you know the feel good story. Right, and look, let's let's call a spade a spade. The reason that they were so good is they were so dominant at home. Right, the rack was right. a place that teams really struggled playing in. Obviously, and we look, don't know what it's like it, now. exactly. So we don't know how they're going to really respond um, to being in an arenas or what may have you, like where. There's really not that big home crowd behind them. Look, they're still talented players. They still bring a ton of guys back, as we mentioned, but they always seem to play differently. And to me, the difference was always they just seemed to be more aggressive when they were at home. They hit the offensive glass. They always blocked out much better than they did when they were on the road. Who knows what that's going to be like this year? I do like them to be contenders if they can, you know, get over that hump of, hey, we don't have that home crowd behind us. But, hey, if it does prove to be a factor, this could be a team that we're like, how the hell were they making a push last year and now, you know, going backwards this year? It's totally possible, but it's intriguing. I'm, I'm excited to watch those guys play as well. Let's go from the Big Ten to the Big 12, where I we obviously have to start the discussion talking about the Baylor Bears, a team that had uh, national championship aspirations. Uh, two through five, it looks like, in the preseason poll for the Big 12, Kansas, West Virginia, Texas, and Texas Tech. Certainly some intrigue as we get towards the bottom of that top five. But, I mean, this conference, we kind of expected it to be even before Baylor's season last year, anytime Scott Drew runs the program, you expect his teams to be at the top of the league and be a top five seed or so in the NCAA tournament. Garrett Butler, as I mentioned, he returns for his junior season. He averaged 16 points per game, 38% from the three-point line last year, a guy that could probably end up in National Player of the Year conversations yeah. come the end of the season. They are losing a little bit of size, uh, but they do still have four starters back. Uh, and then, obviously, the top contender to the Bears, if we're going to say that Baylor is the favorite in this conference, would be the Kansas Jayhawks, uh, having won, obviously, 15 of the last 16. They've had at least a share of the Big 12 regular season title. Marcus Garrett uh, is just a junkyard defender for them that's really going to get after it on the perimeter. And they bring in Bryce Thompson, who looks to be a, a recruit primed to make an impact. So when we look at the top two there in the Big 12 um, – how do you kind of see the see it shaking out between the Bears and the Jayhawks? Yeah, I'm I'm chalky with this one. I like Baylor, obviously, to to uh, reign supreme here in the uh, Big Twelve. You know, they lost the last few, but you mentioned Butler. They also have Macy Teague back. They're right. like they're they're arguably one of the best backcourts in the country. Um, so I, I can't I can't put anybody above them in this conference. Kansas would be that team. But like we mentioned, you know, they, they've lost so much. You mentioned Marcus Garrett, who, again, another guy that needs to take a big step going forward. He's right. a phenomenal defender, but is he going to be that guy that's going to be able to average, you know, between that 15 and 20 points per game range? I, I don't know. Um, but I have, in the past, for so long, faded, faded, faded Bill Self. I still don't think he's the greatest coach in the world, like some people make him out to be. But I'm not going to fade him this year. I, I think he's going to keep them – up there in the upper echelon, along with Baylor, they're going to compete. Um, they'll probably, you know, a Sweet 16 is probably, um, in my opinion, the ceiling for them. And I don't think they're really going to have a problem getting there. Uh, and then you mentioned a couple other teams. Uh, my sleeper team that I would pick in this in this conference is a team um, 
who always plays strong defense because of their coach, right? Chaka Smart's been, you know, advocating that ever since he's been back at VCU and now he's over at Texas. Um, he has this awesome new hair that we, we, yeah. we saw recently, right? <laughs> um, so who knows? Maybe that plays a part. But they bring their top five scorers back. They got a five star right. recruit in Greg Brown. Greg Brown. Um, right. They're still going to they're still going to be that top defensive team. That's a, that's not a, a thing that switches from year to year, right? Like you never see a team who's been known for defense, like a Virginia, like a Texas, and the next year all of a sudden they're giving up, you know, seventy, eighty points a game. It's not going to happen. So right. they have that. Now they I feel also like it's the thing in college basketball where regardless of the players, like coaches just have their systems and their personnel right. ultimately needs to fit that or it's exactly. just not going to work out. Right, right. They're, they're based in the recruiting upon that, right? Like nobody right. – you're not going to see a guy like Tony Bennett go out there and look for a five-star recruit that's averaging 30-some points Rapid. a game yeah. who does not play defense at all. It's right. not going to happen. <laughs> um, but this is also a team that got super hot late in the season last year. You know, I'm not saying that's going to definitely carry over, but I'd rather be – on a team that got hot late than a team that really fell off late, especially going into a season like this. Um, so I, I like Texas. Nuggets, by the way, about Texas. I don't know if you knew this. This surprised me today when I saw this. Shaka Smart, he's entering his sixth season in Austin. He has not won an NCAA tournament game at Texas. Wow. No, I did not know that. Yeah. Interesting. Very but interesting. A lot of Maybe guys that's... coming back. You mentioned Greg Brown certainly looks like they're primed to at least win one game and maybe be a second weekend team. Yeah, and, and again, that's where I think that would put – I'd put their ceiling at as well. Like, I think that they should definitely make the tournament. Um, they should definitely win one game. If they win more than one, I think that's kind of like, you know, icing on the cake for them. I mean, they'll never say that, but if we're really looking at it from a logistical standpoint, like, I, I don't think they're that great. Um, and, and an overrated team, I have two of them in this conference, and I hate to say it because it's my boy, I love Huggy Bear, <laughs> but I, I just don't see it. I, I really don't. I, I, I mean, they're going to be that defensive team. They're going to win some games. It sounds like they're going to want to just eat the glass, but where's the shooting coming from? Exactly. And when, you, and when it comes down to it, when, you, when you're trying to make a run in the conference tournament and in March Madness, you need to have some sort of scoring. You can't just do it defensively 100% all the way. Um, and I don't, think, I don't think they have that. The other team is Texas Tech, who I think people are going to be high on again. Um, right. Chris Beard's done a phenomenal job with those guys. But they lost their two top scorers. I am super low and always have been on Mac McClung. Everybody wants to talk about him being this transfer. I, I, I think he's got an attitude problem for one. I think he thinks he's way better than he actually is. And I just don't think that he fits the mold of what this Texas Tech program has been. I was really shocked to see him go there. I really thought we were going to see him out west, maybe like at BYU or something like that, where he could be like the one dude that just kind of like takes all the shots that we saw Jimmy Fredette do. Um, yeah, they have two freshmen that are probably going to have to start. They had Santos uh, still over the transfer from VCU, so that could be a help. I just think people are going to be way too high on this Texas Tech program this year. I, I, don't think, I don't think they have the horses to make that kind of run. And honestly – I hate to say it again, but I think McLung is going to be a, t- a big detriment to this team. He's, he, he seems like a cancer to a program. I think he kind of did that at Georgetown a little bit. We're out as welcome there, and that's kind of why he's moved on from there. I'm curious of your thoughts, though. Yeah, well, um, I, I am intrigued by Texas Tech. I'm not sure I'm necessarily taking a staunch of a stance against them because I do think – Last year, they still had a respectable program, right? And I remember watching them in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. They played Kentucky, and it was a really fun game to watch. Went right down to the wire uh, in Lubbock. And I do think that 
they followed it up the Final Four run with a, a respectable season. Kyler Edwards, Terrence Shannon, uh, a couple of key returners for them. Uh, and they were the one team, right? And again, I know that this is now two seasons ago, but they were the one team that knocked off that Kansas streak of Big 12 regular season titles. So right. I think it's more of a wait and see for them. I'm with you on West Virginia. Uh, I, I think at a certain point uh, when the games get higher scoring and you don't have like a Javon Carter in the backcourt or somebody that can really knock down shots, then how do you win games in the 80s? You know, and, and that remains right. to be seen. I want to ask you, though, obviously one team we haven't talked about in this conference that is going to get a lot of recognition because of the top prospect, Kate Cunningham at Oklahoma State. Um, you know, we've seen this in the past with top draft prospects at lesser bit power five schools, Ben Simmons at LSU. What kind of impact do you think he can have on the program? And, you know, can they be an NCAA tournament team or is this going to fizzle out pretty quickly? Yeah, I'm never a guy who will back this the big name prospect that's coming, especially to a team like you met the names you just mentioned, right? Like a Ben Simmons, great. Like, what did he do at LSU, right? I mean, he put up numbers, but were they a better team? I don't think right. so. I mean, they didn't, they didn't, they weren't ever making that run. They weren't even in the tournament, right? So, I don't think one guy is going to take a a program that's sort of mid-level within a very good conference and, and rise them up. I mean, you have to be a super special player. I don't think he's that guy. Um, I'm curious to watch him. It'll be exciting. But, no, I'm not high on them to think, oh, my God, now that he's there, they're all of a sudden going to, you know, make a big charge here. I don't think it happens. So let's go from the Midwest to the East Coast, and we continue to run through some of the, uh, the top conferences in the land on this college basketball preview edition of Full Slate. Let's go to the Atlantic Coast Conference where we have uh, the, I guess, can we call them still the defending national champion, Virginia Cavaliers? Um, I mean, I guess you have to, right? Absolutely, yeah. What else can you say? They're at the top of the league, and then you have Duke uh, mostly sitting at number two um, with a lot of recruits, as we would expect, uh, down there in Durham. Uh, Florida State sitting at number three. I do agree with you what you said at the beginning. North Carolina could be pretty intriguing. They look to be the consensus number four in the league, and then Louisville rounds it out uh, at number five. But you mentioned you like Virginia, and I think you're right, by the way. You mentioned Sam Hauser. He can really shoot from pretty much anywhere, and I think the thing that's so intriguing about that and the the fit with him at Virginia is he just raises the offensive ceiling for the Hoos, right? And so often are they a team that almost has to win 50 to 48, you know, and, and they're very good at doing that. But now if they can start winning games in the 60s and 70s, Kihei Clark is back. He was a preseason second-team all-conference selection. Uh, Virginia looks like, you know, they're becoming a blue blood, right? I mean, this is yeah. another year with Tony Bennett at the top of the country. Yeah, again, like I mentioned before, I am super high on Virginia this year. Um, and for the reasons that you stated, that I stated earlier, Hauser comes in, he averaged 15-7, two and a half. Um, I only see that kind of going up because they're going to need it. You know, I mean, Clark is phenomenal running the show. He's going to give you those big shots when you need them. Um, but Hauser's going to be that guy who's going to bring them uh, to a different level offensively. So I'm excited to see it. They also have a kid um, I'm, I'm big on, you know, former players, NBA players and stuff sure. like that who have kids and stuff like that coming in. So Sharif Abdul-Rahim, his, his son's playing, uh, Jabri, I guess it is, 6'5 guard, played Seton Hall Prep, transferred over to Blair Academy. He was the Gatorade New Jersey Player of the Year last year. Um, curious to see what kind of role he gets within this. He might be a guy who is very, very limited as far as playing time. 
Um, but who knows? You know, the type of guy where he's got the pedigree, he could make an impact at some point, whether it's conference tournament or tourney time, who knows? Um, but yeah, I have these guys at the top team in the ACC. Um, you know, it's tough to replace Diakite defensively, um, but I think what I think what they lose a little bit in him defensively, they gain that times ten almost with Hauser offensively. Honestly, um, see, so yeah, I look at them to be number one. You mentioned Florida State. I have them as my second team uh, within the conference. Uh, they lose Vassal, they lose Forrest, they lose 20, 25 or so points per game. Um, they bring in Scotty Barnes, a point guard. He's going to be, mm-hmm. again, he's, he's 6'9". He's almost like a, I to say, because everybody says it about a big point guard, right? But he, he's got like that Magic Johnson-type look to him. Um, he's going to be able to do a lot. Ben Simmons, you know what I mean? Like that, where he's going to be able to see over the defenses, which is going to be a huge thing within this conference. Um, you know, this surprised me, too, while you're on Barnes. I saw this, and uh, it wasn't quite as surprising as Shaka not having an NCAA tournament win at Texas, but uh, highest-rated recruit at Florida State under Leonard Hamilton. And obviously, Hamilton's been there a while, but, I mean, they've had some lottery picks come out of that program, right? And, you know, Jonathan Isaac recently and and Mm -hmm. Dwayne Bacon, I don't know if he was a lottery pick or not, but he was a pretty high recruit. Um, And and so, obviously, a lot of buzz around uh, the freshman point guard. Yeah, and they got the junior uh, junior college transfer, the kid Calhoun, who's going to be playing a lot. And they also got the seven footer, uh, what's his name, Balsa Cop Copervica or whatever. So look, he's going to get he's going to get a role within within that team too. So I like Florida State. They were a team that were like primed to make that run last year as well, uh, and they never got the opportunity to. And then again, we mentioned North Carolina. I, I think that they're going to be look. This, <laughs> you can't get worse than where they were last year. Um, so I think they're only going to they're only going to move up. But my sleeper team within this conference is actually Georgia Tech, a team that you know was eleven and nine within the uh, within the conference last year. They only lose they only lose one guy really. They lose Banks, who was like nine and a half, ten points per game. Um, Devo and Alvarado come back. Between them, it's thirty points, seven, seven, and three. That's a great starting core to have. Um, I think they're going to be able to push this conference in a different direction where, again, we've always talked about the Blue Buds, the Virginia, the North Carolina, the Duke. I think Georgia Tech's going to make a little bit of a run in the, within this conference this year. And on the, on the heels of that, Duke is my overrated team. They're a team that I think is going to digress. And you will lose Carey and you lose Jones and you lose Stanley. It's, it's going to be hard to replace them, right? It's a different thing when you lose Cameron Indoor. I mean, they're not going to have that advantage – of a team that comes into their house who might be, you would think, yeah. on a neutral court, a 10-point favorite, they come into Cameron and, and all of a sudden they're almost a five, six-point dog just because of the atmosphere. They're not going to have that this year. And, and to me, Coach K, look, he's in the very, very twilight of his career. I know he's got some young kids within the program that are going to have to step up. He's one of the best, if not the best, college coach of all time. I don't think he's going to have it in him this year. I, I really don't. I just don't think... Without having that crowd, without having that atmosphere, Duke loses its luster. You know, I mean, they always have great players, but there's just more of an aura about them within Cameron Indoor. Not going to have it this year. So that's going to be my team that I think is going to take a step back. Who knows? I could be completely wrong. They end up winning the national title. I look like an idiot. Totally possible. But, I mean, that's the kind of starting point that I'm having preseason. Well, how about North Carolina, too? Garrison Brooks, uh, back for one more year. Favorite to win the conference player of the year, it looks like. Um Here's another one that just kind of raises eyebrows a little bit. North Carolina has not 
made the second weekend of the NCAA tournament since 2017. So you're looking at at least four years now, and that's prior to uh, the arrival of a Garrison Brooks. It sounds like they have a pretty deep front court there yeah. in Chapel Hill. That's just what happens when Villanova comes in and rips your heart out in a national title <laughs> game, I guess, right? Oh, like that yeah. was their last one. I mean, right. It's crazy. It's a real changing of the guard when you think about that. Because North Carolina, for a long team, seemed to be the team that always knocked Nova out in the tournament, whether it was a Sweet 16, whether it was a Elite Eight or a second round, whatever it may be. I always felt like they ran into that oh, and they could never get over the hump. My final, the one year yeah. when the Scott Reynolds year. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. It's kind of interesting you, you mentioned that. I'm, I'm staring here looking over at, at some of my memorabilia over here. I have the, the shot heard around the world, the whole diagram of, of the shot that was taken in the national championship game. Um, yeah, it's interesting. But, again, North Carolina, they can't be worse than they were last year. So I think they're going to make a push to, to get up in this conference. And who knows? I'm excited to see it, but I'm not getting my hopes up too, too high for them. Let's go north and stay east, although uh, this conference has branched out into the Midwest as well. And that's the Big East, uh, where we talked at the beginning about Villanova being a national title contender. A lot of players back for Jay Wright's squad. Uh, obviously, uh, you have the uh, team in Omaha now, the Creighton Blue Jays, uh, right there at number two, it seems like, in this league. A ton of guys back for Creighton. Uh, and then you have your, your normal you know, Catholic 7 schools, Providence, uh, Connecticut is back in the league, which should give it some more buzz. Uh, Seton Hall looks to be uh, a team that kind of has at least built itself up to at least deserve a seat at the table with the rest of the Big East. So when we look at this league, it, it does seem like there's a line after Creighton as far as national contenders. But, I mean, Bill, I'll just say I'm intrigued by Providence. David Duke is a you know all-Big East caliber player. Uh, How long has he been there for? I feel right. like he's one of those guys, right? Like, he's just Harry Ellis. He's been there for eight years. It's right. crazy. You know, and it just feels like Ed Cooley's teams are always so hard to play against. They always have those guys, whether it's a Ben Bantill or this year A.J. Reeves down low, or excuse me, Nate Reeves, that is that beast on the low block that really just hounds teams all throughout. Um and uh, they bring in a couple of transfers. Syracuse transfer, Bryson Goodine, St. Joe's transfer, Jared Bynum is at Providence now as well. Um, so I think Providence is pretty interesting. I, I wonder about UConn coming back, right? Danny Hurley's been at that program a few years. They have four starters back. Hey, I know it's not the old Big East, but and it, it took a few years, right? I mean, it, it, we didn't just waltz into the new Big East at the same level. But, right. I mean, this is a really good league, and it looks like while we do have two pretty clear title contenders here, I, I, I don't think the conference just stops there. No, I agree with you. Like we mentioned, we've, we've talked about Nova already. Uh, they're bringing back four starters. They lose Bay. They have Swider off the bench again. They have a kid, Caleb Daniels, they brought over from Tulane. I'm curious to see what, what uh, Jay does with him. They've never really had a ton of success um, with transfers. You know, uh, the first name that comes to mind is the kid, Quiverly. I don't, I don't think he really had it in him. He ended up leaving there. Um, but this kid, Daniels, he averaged 17, 5, and 3.5. And so who knows? If he, if he can buy into the system and, and be comfortable with a smaller role than he probably played at Tulane, you know, he could give him a little bit of an impact. But I, I don't think anybody touches Nova within this conference. I, I said last year going into the season that if they were able to bring this entire team back in 2020, they will be the best Nova team 
that there ever was. And, and I, people think I'm crazy because you look at 2016, okay, well, then you look at the team yeah. they won in 2018. 2018 was, was unbelievable, was right? Was back. What's that? Yeah, that was if Bay came back. Correct. I'm not going to sit here and say this is the best team in Nova history. If Bay was back, I think it would have been, um, only because I think they're just, as a team, and they have every piece that's possibly needed, and they all buy into the system. They all had an extra year under their belts. Um, but Bay's a big loss, so I don't know who's going to fill that void. Um, but Gillespie, <laughs> in my opinion, Gillespie at the end of the at the end of his career is going to be above Archie Diacono, and he's going to be only, I think, slightly below, shockingly, Jalen Brunson, who who I think is possibly the greatest player that ever came out of of Nova because of what he did as a freshman all the way through his uh, his yeah. college career. Right. So. And Gillespie's not a guy who people talked about and was like, oh, my God, this kid. You know, he's kind of just been, you know, nosing his way through and just a hard-nosed player. He always seems to make the right play. Um, yes, yeah, so I don't think anybody touches Nova. You mentioned UConn. I actually have UConn above Creighton. Um, wow. I don't think, yeah, I don't, I don't think Creighton is going to be a team that's going to drop off. Um, but I think UConn's going to be hungry. Back in this conference, I think Boat Knight is going to be the guy who – is going to take that major step going forward. I always, you know, I think everybody kind of always tries to find one guy that can compare um, to Kemba when he was there and took over that role. I think Boat Knight could be that guy. Um, they really only lose, I think, one guy as far as the scoring threat. Um, Acock, Acock, or whatever his name is, a guy that tore his <laughs> leg up last year. He might be back. They got two transfers. A kid from Howard, Cole, he averaged 22 and a half and six assists. Who knows what his role is really going to be at UConn. Um, and the kid from um, from Rhode Island, Martin, is another guy, 13-7. and seven. And they are just super deep. And, again, you mentioned their coach. Danny Hurley, I think, is absolutely phenomenal. Um, he gets the most out of his guys. And I think he's going to be able to use everything for motivation in this season. He's the type of guy that's going to be using – the COVID corona shit, he's going to use that as a motivation for his players. Right. He's going to be using the fact that, hey, you know, we're back into this conference. We want to make a splash. We want to be known as the former UConn, what we always have been. I think he's going to use all that kind of stuff as motivation. I see that well, making a push. In. on Hurley that I just mm-hmm. find to be so intriguing, like the guy's a Northeast guy through and through, and, like, UConn, he talked about when he took that job, about how it is, like, the pinnacle of college basketball in the Northeast. He's from Jersey, obviously, with the family pedigree. Wagner was his first head coaching job. Did a great job at Rhode Island. So he knows this area really well. I think he's kind of laid that groundwork these first few yeah. years. And as you said, you think they're ready to take the next step and really contend in the conference and, and maybe make a little bit of a run in the NCAA. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me at all. Um, again, I think a lot of this could have be predicated upon how Boak Knight plays and the kid and the big guy if he comes back from the injury and the transfers. But I like what they have. And, again, I'm not going to go against anybody last name Hurley. <laughs> last thing on this conference, we talked a lot about transfers. Bryce Aiken seems to be a big transfer yeah. get for Seton Hall. Grad transfer, he, to give you an idea of, you know, Kevin Willard and the program that he's building there uh, in East Orange, Bryce Aiken picked Seton Hall over Michigan, Maryland, and Iowa State. So, yeah, yeah, I thought those Harvard guys are supposed to be smart. <laughs> right. Look, I, I, I've been on record plenty of times saying it. I do not believe in Kevin Willard at all. Uh, God bless him for what he's done over there at, at the program. I just, I just, I'm not a believer in him. The fact they lose Powell, they lose McKnight, they lose Gill, it, sure. it's going to be a lot for them to overcome. Look, Ike might come in and and 
and be a force to be reckoned with. Who knows? The kid, Mamou, if he really gets his stuff together and takes that step going forward this year, could be a big piece. I just don't trust Willard. They're actually my team, I think, that are going to digress even more. Okay. Um, uh, but again, like you mentioned, Aiken could be a huge get for them and could totally change the program for this year. Right. Let's go to the Southeastern Conference now. we got a couple more leagues to talk about before we hit our break. Uh, and obviously in the SEC, uh, ever since Rick Barnes arrived at Tennessee, he has really made that program very relevant. Uh, and they have four starters back. Uh, speaking of Rick Barnes, he did test positive for COVID. So, you know, for, from a gambling standpoint, might want <laughs> to keep an eye on that and, and keep an eye on his availability. A couple of five-star recruits. Uh, joining the fold there in Knoxville, and uh, John Fulkerson is a first-team All-Conference selection and a very experienced front-court player, redshirt senior. Kentucky's Kentucky. We know they're going to bring in the top recruits. B.J. Boston seems to be the best one of the pack this year. Then rounding out the top five, uh, LSU, uh, and Trendon Watford is the leader there, an All-Conference selection. Uh, Keontae Johnson at Florida was the preseason player of the year. Uh, and Alabama, they did lose the star in uh, Kyra Lewis uh, to the NBA. Uh, but it does seem like while Alabama it gets the nod at number five, it seems like the line is kind of drawn here after Florida and then the conference opens up a bit. Yeah, you mentioned Alabama. I think the team that, that I'm really low on, they don't play any day. <laughs> um, so the right. fact that they're, that they're going to be in these games where they're going to have to be putting up between 80 and 90 points every night. And I, I look at their roster, and I'm like, who who's doing that for them? You know, mentioned I mentioned before a name from Nova's past. Clearly, he's transferred over here to, to Bama. He stinks. So I don't know <laughs> what he's going to do. If he's in that starting five, God bless them. You know, they're going to need a lot more help than just that. So um, I'm low on Bama. Uh, I'm high on Tennessee, like you mentioned. For all the reasons you said, they have a top five recruiting class coming in. I think that the 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 biggest factor with this Tennessee team, um, if it's if they're going to be the team that's going to lead the SEC conference, is are they going to be able to not turn the ball over? They were 221st in the country last year in turnovers, which is wow. ridiculous. Can they make that change, and will they make that change? It, it remains to be seen. Um, you mentioned Fulkerson. I think he's going to take a step this year um, and be the main guy going to fill in the void for Bowden and Turner, who they lost. Um, I like Tennessee a lot this year, and, of course, Kentucky's Kentucky, right? Like, uh, who am I to say that, you know, that Cal is not going to be able to take four freshmen, whoever they may be, and make them a top-five team in the country? You can totally do it. Um, the only – the only kid they bring back, I think you mentioned, right, Keon Brooks, four and a half points per game. But he was a five-star recruit, right? So it's rare that you see some of these five-star recruits at Kentucky actually make it to their second year. So I'm curious to see how he plays. They had the kid um, from Lake Forest, uh, Olivia R. Sarr, the seven-footer they transferred in. He could be a piece. He was like 14 and seven, 14 and eight or something like that for those guys. And then, again, another name. Who knows what kind of role he has, but they have the transfer from Rhode Island. They have Obi Toppin's uh, brother, Jacob Toppin, over there. So he'll probably have limited time. Um, you know, But, again, Kentucky's Kentucky. I'm never going to count those guys out, especially in a conference like the SEC where I don't think there's too, too much. My sleeper team, if I had to pick one, um, would probably be South Carolina. Um, no, they still have Frank Martin. <laughs> I'm a big Frank Martin. Fan. He's always talking about guys that motivate. Right, he's, he's hilarious. He's, he gets everybody fired up. Um, they have their whole core back. I think they're going to be able to be a team that uh, will contend a little bit. Well, they're not going to be a top two, maybe three team in the conference, but I definitely put them above Bama, and I think they'll be able to compete with a team like Florida. 
Let's wrap things up out west with, of course, the Conference of Champions. We've got to save the pack well for last. Uh, and, and, hey, speaking of uh, Bill Walton, his alma mater, UCLA, I am highly intrigued by. They have everybody back. They We just finished talking about Kentucky. They have a Kentucky transfer in the fall, Johnny Juzang, who can really shoot the basketball. And remember, and, and I think this might be something to keep to consider. I know that it's a brand-new season, but – Certain teams that were trending in the right direction entering the tournament, you know, I think when it comes to early season, who we want to back, like, those are the teams I'm looking at. And and I start right here with UCLA. You have a Cronin in his second year. Obviously, he's a program builder. He did excellent things in Cincinnati. And it looked like for a while there, early on in the season, it was going to be a big disappointment. And they really flipped the switch and got things going towards the end of the year. Uh, and so they have four starters back, or excuse me, five starters back, and Juzang comes in as the transfer. So Dev- David Singleton uh, is a very experienced bench player for them, and they bring in Jalen Clark, a top 75 recruit as well. Uh, I-, I just think from top to bottom, this is a UCLA team. Like, uh, you know, they made the one run and got to the Sweet 16 with Alford the one year in 2017, yeah. but – I think this is the start of them starting to become back-back, you know, for the first time since the Ben Howland days. Uh, So very, very intrigued by UCLA. And and I think of, you know, a very interesting, I don't even want to say dark horse because their preseason top 25 is Arizona State. And Remy Martin decided to come back, right? And and Mm -hmm. so often we talk about guard play, right? Uh, He was an all-pack 12 player last year, averaging 19 points a game, can really fill it up. An elite scoring guard, Alonzo Verge, is also back in that Arizona State backcourt. Uh, they bring in Marvin Bagley's brother, a top recruit, Marcus Bagley. And Josh Christopher was another big get for them in recruiting a top 50 guy, another guard. So they are clearly loaded in the backcourt and ready to make a run. So I think Arizona State, maybe at the end of the year, is right there with UCLA in this league. Then I think it really dips off. I think Oregon is the overrated team in this conference. I'm with you, a team that I think it's a little recency bias here. They're in the preseason top 25, regular season champions last year for the third time in five years, but they lose Peyton Pritchard. Also worth noting that they, and, and this correlates to the Pritchard loss, they went 5-1 and one, Oregon did in overtime games last That's year. So great point. So, so who's closing games now? Exactly, yeah. Those big shots. And they lost their leading rebounder from last year, Shakur Justin. Uh, they lost some guys that transferred out of the yep. program. So they're bringing in bench players and transfer guys. And when you plug it all together, maybe it gels by the end of the year. I'm skeptical there. I don't think it gels early in the year, and they're a preseason top 25 team, so I'm out on Oregon. And then and it looks like Stanford and Arizona uh, kind of else, elsewhere in the league. Stanford did lose Tyrell Terry, but they got just about everybody else back right. in the starting lineup. Oscar De Silva, obviously a key player for them. They have a lot of shooters, it seems like, there in Palo Alto and some defensive specialists. So that would seem to be in modern basketball what you want, shooters and, and good defenders. Um, and and then Arizona is a wait and see. Obviously, there's been a lot of off-the-court stuff going on with them. Uh, French big man Daniel Bacho uh, was a big uh, get for them, uh, but he's going to be out with some knees, uh, recovering from a knee injury, and they have a few other transfers. So more of a wait-and-see approach there. But those are my thoughts on the Big 12, or I'm sorry, the Pac-12. Very interested in UCLA and Arizona State, though. 
Yeah, I'm I'm with you on pretty much everything you said. I have UCLA as my one, Arizona State as my two. Um, pretty much for all the same reasons you mentioned. I think Chris Smith is a real, real dark horse or player of the year candidate. Um, look, we always talk about players, right, how there's, like, that sophomore slump potentially from players. Like, that's the only thing I think you could possibly see with this program is right. Mick Cronin, I don't think Mick Cronin would even admit that he thought that that team was going to be capable of doing what they did last year, making that jump. Um, and you'd think, like, okay, well, they're just going to keep moving forward, keep moving forward. Who knows? I mean, was that jump a little premature and all of a sudden they take a step back this year? Who knows? But like you said, they're bringing all their starters back. They got the kid from Kentucky that transferred in. I'm very high on UCLA as well. Um, I have them as being the leaders of the pack in the Pac-12, Arizona State, same thing you said. They had a freshman, Josh Christopher. Um, you mentioned Marcus Bagley, uh, Marvin's brother. Um, they also have a Portland State transfer, the kid Holland Woods. The only reason I know that is because I think I took Portland State like 20 different times last year um, <laughs> on plays. So that's the only reason that name sounds familiar to me. The biggest issue they're going to have is like playing time. Like who, who are they going to have playing how many minutes? Great problem to have for a coach like Bobby Hurley. Again, and for what it's worth, by the way, uh, just from a visibility standpoint, Arizona State on national TV on Wednesday night against Rhode Island uh, to open the season, so could get an early look at them. Yeah, excited for that. that game. And you mentioned Oregon. Like, and I, you, you put it perfectly. I have written down here about Pritchard, and I've read so many different places where they're like, yeah, they lost Pritchard, but they have blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. You didn't just lose Pritchard. You lost the one guy who can make the one chance to get the one shot off and knock down that shot. I can't tell you how many times I'm up here, like, barely staying awake trying to watch the West Coast games, watching Oregon play, and everybody on that team would just stand around watching him make a play. There was nothing else. So, to me, like, I lose faith in the coach at that point. You know right. what I mean? Like, if you're just going to let your one player, okay, I get it once in a while. But, like, so many times. You mentioned the overtime games. I didn't really go back and research this, but I can guarantee you that there had to be a handful of games where they were down almost double digits with a couple minutes left in the game. And the only reason they were back in contention in that game is because Pritchard came down, knocked down three threes that were contested. Right, like, you don't have that. So, yeah, I'm I'm selling on Oregon big time this year. Stanford, if I'm going to call him a sleeper, would be my sleeper for what you mentioned. They bring back five of their top six scorers. They have the freshman Zaire Williams coming in, six-foot-eight, five-star recruit. Um, Could be a piece there. You mentioned Oscar De Silva as well. So that's what I got for the Pac-12. Excited again. Uh, And I I really do. I hope that Oregon – uh, shits the bed this whole year just so I can <laughs> blame it all on Pritchard not being there. Let's take a break and we'll come back and get to some picks and some spots that we're looking at for the start of the college basketball season. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off by wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. 2020 has reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly. 
so you can focus on hiring the right person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the United States visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore. So be clear, Indeed can get you the help that you need and the quality hire in just the right amount of time. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back here on Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. Greg Frank, you can find me and all of my gambling picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg. Joined by my man Bill, you can find him on gambling Twitter at Larry's Locks 2. Whole bunch of college basketball we're running through. We just kind of previewed all the major conferences. Uh, and now we're going to get into some of our picks. Uh, and Bill, before we get to the uh, the, the rotation and the, and the games for this week. I'm just curious because I do want to just talk about one other team that's not in one of the leagues we mentioned. Do you have a, a sleeper nationally, a mid-major that might be worth a, a national championship sprinkle or just somebody that you think nationally could could overachieve? Maybe it's a team you already talked about. but I don't have one, but I'll let you take the reins here, and by the time yeah, you're done talking, so, I'll have one. <laughs> so I think St. Louis in the Atlantic 10 – could be kind of intriguing uh, because my general rule of thumb with these is you want to try and find a team like I was talking about with Gonzaga at the beginning of the podcast where, okay, mid-major conference, but you think they can win their league because if they win the league, depending on what conference they're in or how dominant they necessarily mean that they're going to be a low seed come the NCAA tournament, right? I mean, we've seen the American Conference put number two, number three seeds into the field. Obviously, Gonzaga has been a number one seed, and, you know, this is going back a while, but we're East Coast guys, East Coast natives, you know, St. Joe's gets a number one seed out of the Atlantic 10, so it can be done, and I'm not saying that St. Louis is going to be on that one line, but Jordan Goodwin is a double-double guy, he's back, and Hassan French is also an explosive player for them in the front court, and Javante Perkins is a guy to keep an eye on as far as an explosive wing player that could score. I'm not going to act like I'm a St. Louis Billikens expert here, but that's the uh, those are the players that seem to be really making an impact for them. Travis Ford, a guy that's coached on the national sk- stage at Oklahoma State, his teams were always very good rebounding teams. And he's got those two guys in the front court in Goodwin and French. Uh, so, as I said, try and find these teams that are the top five in the mid-major conferences. And if you think they can win the conference, then they can probably get a good seat. So I think St. Louis is, is kind of interesting. 
Yeah, it is interesting. I, I wouldn't go uh, that deep down because I don't. What, did you did you get a ticket on that yet? No, I didn't get a ticket on it. Yeah. I don't even know if I'm gonna take it. I, I I just I've seen them at like a hundred to one. Yeah, uh, what I'm seeing right now. So yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't mind taking a, a flyer on them. I, I want to take a team that's uh, a little bit lower odds, but I'm seeing them at twenty-five to one. That's a team out of the American in Houston. Houston, sure. yeah, they lose they lose two starters, um, not a ton of scoring out of them. Uh, they bring back obviously three other ones. Caleb Mills off the bench, sophomore guard, um, was their leading scorer. He's going to have a bigger role this year. Uh, they bring in the transfer from Arkansas and Reggie Cheney, another transfer from Idaho, which I guess can't be that great, Cameron Tyson, um, and a decent <laughs> class of freshmen that are coming in. Uh, so, so that's a team where, and again, you mentioned a coach with a pedigree, a guy that's been there before. Kelvin Sampson's been Absolutely. doing it for a very, very long time at a high level. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see a team like Houston, like you mentioned, get a higher seed in the tournament. And who knows, maybe they can make that magical run this year. So let's get started with some picks uh, as we wrap things up here on Full Slate. Some picks for the first few days of college basketball. One, I, I at least want to point out, I don't know about you, Bill, but I do have some spots that I'm looking at where we don't have lines out yet. Uh, mm-hmm. but just, uh, so it's a little bit of a mixture of both. But I'll be brief on my first pick. I talked a lot about them there in the Pac-12 and a team that I like. You're getting UCLA only laying three against San Diego State. I think that makes a lot of sense to give the three points because not only for all the reasons that I talked about with UCLA and all five starters coming back, but Malachi Flynn losing, you know, his departure is going to be very difficult for San Diego State to replace. And I think early on in the season in particular, I think this goes for college basketball and college football, you want to try and back the continuity, the teams coming back, because you don't want basic chemistry flaws and and gelling and things like that. I mean, it's very coach-speak, but you'll hear a lot of coaches of the programs that maybe did have turnover, and even the coaches of teams that have guys back, they'll say, we're not going to be the team that we don't want to be the team that we are now in March, right? They always want to get better at the end of the year. But at the same time, when I get a team that's bringing so many guys back and was playing so well at the end of last season, like we discussed, I think UCLA laying the short number against the mid-major program that lost its top player makes a lot of sense. So I'll, I'll give the three points with UCLA. Yeah, I'm with you. I saw it open at about two and a half, took up to three and a half. And for the reasons you mentioned, San Diego State's only bringing back two starters. It's going to be tough for them to have continuity. And again, in a season where there's really not that much time to practice, if they are practicing, who knows what that really looks like right now. And UCLA, we both mentioned how high we are on them. Mick Cronin bringing back all five starters, a team that was on the rise towards the end of last season. Um, the only thing that I would worry about in this game, honestly, would be is if UCLA walks into this game thinking – well, they're just going to hand us this, right? Like, we are the best team on the court right now. You know, we should be blowing these guys out. So I think it's going to be pretty telling early on in this game. If if you see somehow San Diego State's able to jump on a team like UCLA who's kind of trying to go through the motions, you could see some trouble. I don't expect it to happen. I'm going to be playing UCLA for the same reasons you are, minus three in the hook. How about uh, a side that you like? And we'll get to Thanksgiving sides a little later. Some boots you might like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to be taking um, a pretty heavy dog uh, tomorrow as well. I'm going to be on the Evansville Aces. I'm going to be taking them. Okay. Uh, I booked them at 21 and a half. I believe it opened around 22, 22 and a half, and ticked down a bit. 
Um, but Louisville's lost all five starters. Again, I'm kind of going with the same thing that you've said before, where in a season like this, uh, teams don't have the continuity. I just don't see Louisville having the dogs out there to put a team away, whether it's Evansville, Evansville, whether it's a Kentucky, whether it's a you know Elon, like a team. It doesn't matter who they are. I think they're going to have trouble trying to put teams away with that big of a number, like 21 sitting there. Right. Um, I also like the first half a little bit here as well. Not sure if I'm going to play that just yet, um, but that's going to be a heavy dog that I'm going to be taking. Don't obviously see the aces coming out on top. However, we have seen crazier things happen early we on. Evans in the last year, yes. right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, what was it, so. Kentucky they beat? Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah, yeah so. I mean. I'm not going to act like I looked into the game a ton, but I do think that when you're talking about these big lines early, you often have to look at motivation, right, and, and what's really in it for Louisville to to blow a team out, and are they even capable of doing that, um, you know, this early in the season? They do have four starters back, um, but, uh, I mean, I'm not going to really argue with, with the angle on that one. I, I'm going to look to another uh, favorite just under 10, but I do think Purdue uh, is primed for a bounce-back uh, opportunity here in the Big Ten, and I'm going to give the 9.5 points to back Purdue against Liberty. One thing that I really that really stood out to me about this matchup in particular, uh, Liberty lost four key seniors from a year ago, including uh, its, all of its front court. Um, you know, and that was obviously a pretty good Liberty team last year in the Atlantic Sun. And... I know that Matt Harms transfers out of Purdue, but we talked about this with the Big Ten, and Purdue is no exception. Seems like they always have those big difference-making bigs, right? And I think Travion Williams at Purdue is going to be the next guy in line uh, as far as that Purdue frontcourt to really make a difference. And it feels like an opportunity for him and another uh, sophomore now becoming a junior, Aaron Wheeler, in that Purdue frontcourt to take advantage of an undermanned Liberty front court. Um, so they have a guard that isn't going to play in this game, Eric Hunter, uh, who has a knee injury and is going to be out until the middle of January. And one of their high recruits, Ethan Morton, is a four-star recruit that's questionable for the game. But I just think the advantage for Purdue in the front court is very drastic here. And it was a down year for them, right? Matt Painter is a coach you expect to bounce back. And generally speaking, when we're talking about the mid-majors like a Liberty, it, more often than not, I mean, yes, there's the San Diego States and there's the Gonzagas, but you expect the range of outcomes for these teams to be a little wider, right? Because you just don't know on a year-to-year basis the kind of talent that they're able to recruit to the program and if they're able to sustain that level. I think at least in this spot, a little hesitant about Liberty, and I like Purdue minus the points. Yeah, I don't really have a, an opinion one way or the other with it. Um, just listening to you talk about it a little bit, I would definitely lean Purdue side. Liberty, I still have in my head from college football right now who, who's been playing well, but right, I don't they think have, they're going to have the same kind of athletes, right? So, yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go against Purdue in this one, um, but it will, it will be a no play for me, and I'll wish you best of luck on that one. Um, I'm going to take us real quick, uh, bouncing back and forth, back and forth. I'm going to go with another uh, Big Ten team here. I'm going to lay a big number here uh, with okay. Iowa, given 25 um, uh, to NCCU. Well, they lost the MEAC Player of the Year last year in Jabri Plunt. They'll be guard heavy. I think that's going to be a problem because they don't have anybody that's going to be able to team guards inside. They got a 6'9 transfer from Southern Idaho. I mean, I know they breed 
big people in Idaho, I guess, but <laughs> I don't know how many big recruits out of southern Idaho there's ever been. So uh, I don't think he's going to be the answer to stop guards. I think Iowa, being who they are, being as loaded as they are, they're going to be able to do it from inside. They're going to be able to do it from outside. Um, I think that they're going to blow the doors off of these guys early, uh, and they're going to put them away uh, by by probably I'm I'm going to guess maybe five minutes into the second half you're going to be seeing guys. I was going to ask you, much. you you like that more first half than if you're thinking that. Yeah, a little bit. I I just get hesitant because God forbid they do start out a little bit slow. A little slow, you right. know, and then it being a number where it's probably going to be what like twelve and a half, thirteen. Um, you know, I could see Iowa easily winning by ten in the first half, losing to that number, and then you know end up winning the game by over thirty come the second half. So I probably hesitate a little bit with the big number, but it wouldn't shock me either. Couple more picks for me. Uh, well, one more uh, game that is out. Although I am, am not decided, I'll probably make a decision on this tomorrow if I'm going to play it in the first half or the full game. Um, and then I just have a couple spots that we don't have lines out yet, but I am going to be looking to. But there, this game goes off tomorrow, and I'm going to be looking at the Memphis Tigers in the American Athletic Conference. Um, the numbers gotten away from me a little bit. We're seeing seven, seven and a halfs against St. Mary's. Um, I think this game was originally scheduled to be played earlier in the week and got moved to Wednesday, uh, but... Um, uh, so I might play this first half uh, because I do think that, and, and here's why. Obviously, Memphis just we just saw James Wiseman go number two in the draft, but obviously he only played three games last year. Right. So it's a Memphis program that has uh, all conference players from a year ago. DJ Jeffries and Landers Nolly are back, and uh, Musa Cisse, if I'm saying that right, was yeah. the American Athletic Conference Rookie of the Year preseason, and yeah. he comes right in for Wiseman. So from a stylistic standpoint, I don't know that a lot changes here for Memphis. And if we're looking at back the continuity, you know, they went 21-10 and 10 last year. You know, like, yeah. without Wiseman, they were well used to life without him. Now they're getting a center that they, they can plug in in that front court. I think it makes sense. And St. Mary's, they're, they, I mean, they got to figure out how, where's the scoring coming from. Yeah. They lost their top three scorers from a year ago. So it just feels like uh, – Memphis is the team that's a little more ready and going to be a little more. I mean, that's why they're seven points off. As I said, that number's been bet up. As I said, you lose your top three scorers. I'm not quite sure if you're going to be scoring a lot the first 20 minutes for St. Mary's. So I'll probably look to Memphis in the first half. Yeah, I'm with you. I got Memphis as a full game. Uh, I got them at minus seven. Reasons you mentioned, right? St. Mary's, who's scoring for them, losing three of their top five scorers. Um, and then the kid from Virginia Tech that, that came over, Landers Noli, uh, he's going to be a problem to deal with on, on, on Memphis' squad too. So I'm going to be back in Memphis in this one. Um, my last play for tomorrow, uh, I'm sure everybody can guess it, it's Villanova laying the 14 to BC. Okay. I've had a lot of people asking me this, they're saying, you know, oh, well, it's, it's, it's a, an ACC team that they're playing against. Okay. <laughs> well, what, what has BC really done that really makes you nervous about that 14? Is it because Boston College is a name that everybody's heard of before? So that Nova has an advantage in every single offensive efficiency statistic there is in this game. 
The only way that they don't cover this number, in my opinion, is if they shoot absolutely ice cold, and I don't think they will. And even if they do, a guy like Robinson Earl is such an asset to have where he knows that if they need some points down low, he's going to take an undersized guy, go down the block, make some work done, and finish the rim. And then a kid who we mentioned before in Gillespie, who has kind of, you saw it towards the middle of the season last year, he figured out that Jalen Brunson idea of, okay, we need a bucket, I'm going to back my guard down, play a little post game, and he has that little fadeaway from like eight feet within the lane um, that seems to fall almost every single time. So I don't think that Nova's going to have too much problems here with BC, um, and I'm going to be laying that number of uh, 14, I think I have it at, yeah, 14. Uh, I just want to look at a couple of spots um, that I'm interested in the rest of the week. Um, I talked about St. Louis just a few minutes ago. Uh, not so much as the big favorite uh, against, uh, gosh, who are they playing? Uh, they have a, they're like 25-point favorite against SIU Edwardsville. That's right. But the game that I'm really interested in, which I'm expecting it to, the line to be around Pickham. Maybe St. Louis is a short dog. But it's going to be on Saturday when St. Louis plays LSU. And I, I think uh, there's a big continuity edge here. St. Louis is returning all five starters. LSU is just bringing back two starters. And I think anytime I can get a team like a St. Louis who is kind of coming back off of Yes, this game is on Saturday against LSU. But they're coming back with a lot of guys, and they're supposed to be this kind of mid-major sleeper-type team like I alluded to. When they play a power conference team, I'm always interested in them early in the season because there's a chance for them to make a statement, right? And we have a yeah. LSU team that obviously, as I said, is only returning two starters. They do have Trenton Watford, who is a first-team all-conference preseason selection. But um, I think it's a chance for St. Louis to make an early statement. So I think that's probably going to be like short underdog, maybe pick them. Uh, but I, I'm going to look to St. Louis against LSU on uh, Saturday. Yeah, I like that. I'll, I'll be intrigued by that one, too. I only have one look-ahead game. Um, and it's, it's, again, like we mentioned before, the team you had to take it on last year to win to win a title. I like Gonzaga. Um, going to be laying a few points. I think I saw it up to close to six by now. Um, against a Kansas team who we had talked about a little bit earlier. I'm not trying to fade Bill Self in this pick. It's more so that I really like Gonzaga in this spot. Um, look, we know Kansas is going to be able to – if they lose this game, Kansas will be able to regroup from this. They're going to be able to have chances with teams within their conference. Gonzaga, a team who doesn't have that many great teams within their conference, they look at these games early on in the season as, hey, if we really want to be that one seed – look, they're the preseason number one team. But right. They want to be that number one overall seed – Come March, they can't take these losses early to big team, big time programs because even if they run the table within their conference and they look back at the resume and they go, yeah, they beat everybody in their conference, but you know the top teams they played out of conference from a major conference they lost to, it really hurts them. So I think Mark Few is going to have his boys ready to go um, on on Thanksgiving and it's one thirty tip. Uh, you know, I'm probably going to be watching this more than I'm going to be watching football because I think every game besides maybe the night game, uh, is, is going to be pretty boring. So looking forward to Gonzaga. I'm going to be laying the number in that one on Thursday. I want to lastly just talk about another Thanksgiving game. Uh, and I know that this might be kind of a plug-your-nose, not-a-good-team type of bet. But, uh, you know, 
Temple grad, your Nova guy, so the big five. I'm going to be looking to take St. Joe's plus double digits against Auburn, and it is almost exclusively a play against Auburn. Uh, I mean, we're not, I'm not really sure what we're going to get. It doesn't look like St. Joe's is really ready yet in the A-10. Billy Lang still kind of getting his feet wet. I'm looking at the preseason poll. They were picked to be 12th in the league, so, you know, they can get up into the single digits in the come the conference tournament for the seed wise, but uh, they are bringing back uh, St. Joe's excuse me a uh, couple of starters uh, that are uh, three returning starters I should say, and Auburn doesn't have any. Okay, and this feels like you know they recently imposed the one year postseason ban. This feels like a rebuilding year for Auburn where if they can say okay by the end of the year this freshman or this new starter. Looks like they're a building block for us heading into 2021-2022. Then it was a successful year. Doesn't sound like a team you want to give a big number with. So, right. you know, and conversely, as I said, St. Joe's more guys back. Similar kind of, and not that they're the kind of sleeper I think St. Louis is, but similar kind of spot where you have the mid-major going up against a power program and one that I don't want a lot of stock of this year in Auburn. So, I think you're probably going to get St. Joe's around plus 11, plus 12. I'm going to be looking to take the Hawks on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, I like that. Like you mentioned, Auburn's just been, you know, in the cellar, you know, after all the allegations and stuff like that. It's funny. I actually have one on TV right now. I'm watching Blue Chips, uh, speaking of allegations and NCAA <laughs> sanctions. Um, and I feel like look, I don't want to get too deep into this, obviously, but a guy like Bruce Pearl, who I think is a great coach, a great recruiter. He's like, in trouble, though. Right, exactly. Right? That's what I'm saying. Like, wh- It follows him everywhere he goes. Why? Why Why do these guys consistently get opportunities? You know, if you're a big-name conference team, like at, like at Auburn, you're going to go out and get him. Yeah, he's going to make you good, relevant for a little bit. But do you really want those sanctions afterwards? I mean, it's so hard to come back from. I don't, I don't understand it. So, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked to see – um, St. Joe's, if you get a good number, be able to cover that number against a team like Auburn, who, who knows what you're going to get out of them. You really don't know that. You really don't know that just yet. Talked a lot about college basketball sides. Bill, I got to ask favorite Thanksgiving sides. What's going to be on the table come Thursday? Uh, I'm a big pineapple stuffing guy, actually. Wow, you've never had it. Never had it. I've had oh, the stuffing, which is normally good pineapple enough. Pineapple stuffing. It is absolutely amazing. You can have it as a side. You can have it as dessert. It's just great. Uh, my aunt makes it all the time. She's one started on it. Uh, my wife picked up the recipe. She likes to make it now. We bring it over to our in-laws. They love it. So, yeah, pineapple stuffing's my go-to. Okay. White or dark meat? I'm a white meat guy. White meat. Okay. Yeah. I'm more on the dark side. But, okay. uh, hey, looking forward to another Thanksgiving. And uh, let's enjoy college basketball while we have it, Bill. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on again, Greg. You bet. There he is, Bill Christie. You can find him on Gambling Twitter, at Larry's Lots 2, for all of his gambling picks. I am Greg Frank. Find me and all of my picks at Undercover Greg. This has been Full Slate, a Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. And, of course, please play responsibly. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.